This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. Elon Musk managed to turn the heads of Israel leaders in support of allowing Starlink to provide internet service in Gaza, even after accusations that Musk was not doing enough to quell the rise of hate speech and anti-Semitism on X. Musk's visit coincides with the ceasefire that was extended for two more days after Hamas agreed to release 20 more hostages. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign as a third-party candidate has raised more than Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie, but perhaps this is not that surprising. What is surprising, though, is Hunter Biden has agreed to testify in front of Congress. Hunter's testimony may come just days after Leslie Wolf, the deputy to the special counsel who was investigating Hunter Biden, testifies before the House Judiciary Committee. Another bid by John Anthony Castro has been rejected. Castro filed several lawsuits in more than two dozen states in an attempt to have President Trump removed from the 2024 election. And more bad news for President Biden. Former White House doctor and current Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson has publicly stated that Biden should not serve the rest of his term. Okay, let's get into it. On Monday morning, Tesla founder Elon Musk's plane landed at Israel's Tel Aviv airport. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met with Elon Musk and gave him a tour of the Israeli kibbutz, where nearly 1,400 people were massacred by Hamas on October 7th. Originally, it was expected that the discussion would focus on how to control the rising anti-Semitism on the X platform. In recent weeks, the presence of anti-Semitic content on X has caused international controversy. This has led some media outlets to recall Netanyahu's meeting with Musk in California on September 18th of this year. At that time, Netanyahu urged Musk to strike a balance between protecting free speech and combating hate speech. Israeli President Isaac Herzog had announced on Sunday that he would emphasize in the talks that Musk must act on the rise of anti-Semitism on the network. Musk responded that he is against anti-Semitism and anything that promotes hate and conflict, while reiterating that the stance of the Platform X is that it will not promote. It was uh, certainly been um, a day, I would say an emotionally difficult day uh, to see the places where people were murdered um, and to also watch the video uh, where uh, the murderers are rejoicing. Exactly, uh, that's in the, the worst part in the movie. Yes. I was shocked by it. Um, celebrating the Celebrating bodies. the murder of yeah. innocent people is um, extremely disturbing. So, we have to do whatever, we, whatever is necessary to uh, stop the... I mean, essentially, these, these, these people have been fed propaganda since they were children. Exactly. Um, and the, it's remarkable what humans are capable of if they're fed falsehoods from when they are children. They will think that the murder of innocent people is a good thing. That is how much propaganda can affect people's minds. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'd, I just did a talk with the, the Prime Minister and... Um, I think there's, I mean, obviously there are three things that need to happen uh, in, in the Gaza situation. 
I mean, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's exactly. no choice. Um, they're not going to change their mind. But, and then the second thing is to change the, the education so that an, a new generation of, of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And then, the, and then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. However, the first agreement that was reached between the two sides was about Starlink. In a post on X, Israeli Communications Minister Shlomo Karhi said that the ministry and Musk had reached an in-principle understanding that Musk's SpaceX would not launch its Starlink satellite network service in Gaza without Israeli approval. Karhi wrote, As a result of this significant agreement, Starlink satellite units can only be operated in Israel with the approval of the Israeli Ministry of Communications, including the Gaza Strip. He also wrote, as the state of Israel fights against Hamas, ISIS, this understanding is vital, as it is for everyone who desires a better world free of evil and free of anti-Semitism for our children's sake. Musk expressed his support for the idea of providing Starlink services to Gaza a month ago when communication services in Gaza were disrupted during the Israeli attack on Hamas. Karhi objected to Musk's idea at the time, stating that Hamas will use it, meaning Starlink, to carry out its terrorist activities. Monday was the last day of the initial four-day truce between Israel and Hamas. Hamas released 11 more hostages that day. All of them were dual nationals. There were three French, two German, and six Argentine citizens. Israel said that the hostages included a pair of three-year-old twins. But on that day, the Qatar government said that Israel and Hamas had agreed to extend the ceasefire for two more days. Egyptian officials also confirmed the news. The director of the Egyptian State Information Service, Daya Roshwan, said that under the extension agreement, Hamas would release 20 Israeli hostages that it is holding. In exchange, Israel would release 60 Palestinian prisoners held in its prisons. An Israeli government spokesman said on Monday that 184 hostages were still being held in Gaza as of that day, including 14 foreigners and 80 Israelis with dual nationality. John Kirby, the Strategic Communications Coordinator for the White House National Security Council, said on Monday that three Americans were among the 50 hostages that were released by Hamas in the first four days under the original Israeli-Hamas agreement. However, only Abigail Adan, a four-year-old American girl, has been released. It's believed that the remaining two American women were not released on Monday and it is unclear why. U.S. officials were hopeful that two American women would be released from Gaza where eight to nine U.S. citizens are believed to be held. Despite significant progress on the issue of hostage release, Israel says that it stands by its right to self-defense and it remains committed to destroying Hamas and ending its 16-year rule of Gaza. According to agency France Press, the temporary ceasefire agreement between Hamas and Israel may be linked to the results of the Israeli military offensive in the Gaza Strip. Hamas has already suffered a major blow when several of its top commanders were killed by the Israeli army. As a result, the Palestinian Radical Islamic Organization needed some breathing room with the temporary ceasefire agreement. On Sunday, the Hamas militant organization, Ezzedine Al-Qazam Brigades, confirmed that Ahmed Al-Gandur, the commander of the Al-Qazam Brigade in the northern Gaza Strip, 
and four other senior leaders had been killed in the Israeli military ground operations against Hamas. However, the statement did not mention the time and place of his death. Arab countries and the European Union agreed at the Forum for the Union of the Mediterranean meeting in Barcelona, Spain on Monday that separate Israeli and Palestinian states are the solution to the war in Gaza. Joseph Burrell, the EU High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, said that the Palestinian Authority should rule the Gaza Strip. Over the weekend, the Municipal Water Authority in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, reported that their water system was hacked by an Iranian-backed cyber group. Matthew Motez, the chairman of the Municipal Water Authority, confirmed that a cyber group called Cyber Avengers took control of one of the stations. Reports indicated that the cyber hackers were able to shut down a pump on a supply line that provides drinking water from the Municipal Water Authority's treatment plant. One of the hacked monitors displayed a message reading, you have been hacked down with Israel. Every equipment made with Israel is Cyber Avengers' legal target. However, following the hack, authorities in Pennsylvania announced that the water is still safe to drink. They assured the public that the hackers could not gain access to anything in the water treatment plant. The machine that was hacked uses a system called Unitronics, which is a software that has components that are Israeli-owned. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has raised millions ahead of 2024. His campaign could be the most notable third-party campaign in recent memory. At the end of September, RFK Jr. had raised $15 million. According to FEC filings, his principal campaign committee had about $6.1 million on hand at the end of September. His campaign had spent about $8.9 million. That doesn't sound impressive, but by comparison, his campaign had more cash on hand at the time than Republican Party candidates Vivek Ramaswamy and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. As of the end of June, his biggest supporter was American businessman Timothy Milan, who donated $5 million in April. The second biggest donor was Gavin DeBecker, the leader of the private security firm Gavin DeBecker & Associates, who gave a total of $4.5 million at the end of June. The Kennedy campaign press secretary Stephanie Speer told the Epoch Times that the current focus is getting Mr. Kennedy on the ballot in all 50 states. Former White House doctor and current Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson recently expressed concern over Biden's age and the decline of Biden's cognitive abilities. Jackson was a White House physician for three presidents, including George W. Bush, Obama, and President Trump. Jackson said that Joe Biden's cognitive decline is accelerating. Jackson said to Sean Duffy, the guest anchor of Sunday Morning Futures, the decline is happening quickly. Like you said, I've taken care of three presidents, so I know firsthand what it takes to be the commander-in-chief and head of state. It's a grueling job, both mentally and physically. This man can't do the job. He's proven to us every single day that he can't do the job, but this is going to get worse. Jackson also noted that it's just unbelievable how much he's degenerated just during his time in office. We cannot afford to have this man in office for the remainder of his term and then for another four years after that. He's already putting us at great risk right now. 
Joe Biden just celebrated his 81st birthday last week, which makes him the oldest man to hold the highest office in the nation. However, his declining health is not a new issue. Over the past few months, this has been evident during many instances of falling. Hunter Biden has finally agreed to testify before Congress. On Monday, Hunter Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell, said in a message to James Comer, our client will get right to it by agreeing to answer any pertinent or relevant question you or your colleagues might have. Lowell even demanded that the appearance be held in public. Lowell noted a public proceeding would prevent selective leaks, manipulated transcripts, doctored exhibits, or one-sided press statements. Hunter Biden has offered to appear on December 13th, which is the date named in the subpoena. In the meantime, on Tuesday, House Republicans subpoenaed Leslie Wolf, who is a deputy to the special counsel who is investigating Hunter Biden. Wolf played a pivotal role in the inquiry that whistleblowers alleged was slow walked by prosecutors. The House Judiciary Committee subpoena follows a series of refusals by the Department of Justice to secure voluntary testimony from Wolf. In a letter that was attached to the subpoena that was sent to Wolf by House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, it said that Wolf possessed first-hand knowledge of Hunter Biden's case. Wolf also was extensively involved in meetings throughout the probe that were held at the office of U.S. Attorney for Delaware David Weiss. The committee's interest in Wolf's testimony is rooted in allegations that Wolf deviated from standard investigative procedures. These allegations were testified to by two IRS whistleblowers in front of the House Ways and Means Committee. Jordan wrote, Information available to the committee suggests that you, meaning Wolf, either directly or by instructing others, are responsible for many of the decisions to deviate from standard investigative protocol during the department's investigation of Hunter Biden. This deviation included alleged actions, such as tipping off Hunter Biden's defense counsel about a potential search warrant for his storage unit. The Wolf investigation team also objected to federal investigators executing the warrant later. Wolf also allegedly prohibited investigators from questioning witnesses about Joe Biden references. In addition, Wolf allegedly hindered inquiries into potential campaign finance violations. Whistleblower testimony by IRS Supervisory Special Agent Gary Shapley also revealed that Wolf discouraged lines of inquiry that could lead to President Biden. Wolf cautioned against questioning about the big guy or dad. IRS documents that were disclosed by whistleblowers also indicated that Wolf requested the removal of references to Joe Biden from their probe's scope. Wolf's testimony is scheduled for December 7th. On Monday, a federal district court in Rhode Island rejected a bid to disqualify President Trump from the 2024 presidential election. Chief Judge John J. McConnell of the U.S. District Court in Rhode Island summarily denied a complaint by John Anthony Castro. Castro is a lesser-known Republican presidential candidate from Texas 
who has filed lawsuits in more than two dozen states over the past few months. In recent months, courts in Florida, Colorado, New Hampshire, Minnesota, and Michigan have rejected his claims. In most cases, the rejection was due to procedural or jurisdictional reasons. These reasons include a lack of standing or the refusal of the courts to rule on a political question. Judge McConnell's Monday ruling followed a November 21st ruling on the same matter by a higher court that is called the Court of Appeals for the First Circuit. The appeals court has appellate jurisdiction over the Rhode Island District Court, so its rulings are effective on the lower court. In that earlier ruling, the appeals court affirmed a lower court's ruling. The court rejected Castro's bid to remove President Trump from the New Hampshire ballot. The judges reasoned that Castro failed to show that he suffered injury in fact by Trump's candidacy, which would be a required component for bringing such a case under Section 3. This is because Castro's claim that his votes would be taken away during the 2024 election was too speculative at the time that Castro filed his complaint. The appeals court also affirmed the lower court's reasoning that the case is a political subject that falls outside the types of matter that a court can adjudicate. However, it did not elaborate on this point. President Trump's spokesperson Stephen Chung hailed Monday's ruling as a victory for President Trump's campaign. Chung wrote in a statement on President Trump's campaign website that the American people have the unassailable right to vote for the candidate of their choosing at the ballot box, something the Democrats and their allies driving these cases clearly disagree with. President Trump believes the American voters, not the courts, should decide who wins next year's election, and we urge a swift dismissal of all such remaining bogus ballot challenges. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.